everybody, it's Microphones of Madness, I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Oh yeah. And today we are finishing our look at Wicked Weird, an anthology of New England horror writers. Uh, edited, weird. Edited by Amber Fallon, Scott T. Godsward, and David Price. I'm not making the joke. Oh, you're not going to make the joke today. I'm not going to make the joke. All right. So we are, like we said, in the home stretch. We're looking at the final five stories today. Uh, we'll jump right into it and then get into some thoughts on the anthology as a whole once sure. we wrap that up. Uh, first up on our list is The Promised Death of Zebediah Dewey by John Goodrich. Um, yeah, now this story is like very, very to the point. Yeah, it's pretty classic, actually. Yeah. Um, with a uh, kind of a twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, usually protagonists don't go that down that route. Nope. Nope. It's usually, you know, like one of those cautionary tale type of things. Um, yeah. Now, I, I did like the way it kind of had like that folk tale vibe. Yeah. You know, where you had the old scratch living in the woods or whatever our entity called itself. Right, and I uh, like the way that they incorporated the the whole uh, Pennsylvania Dutch uh, mm-hmm. magic, yep, folk magic into it. That was a nice little touch because you don't really you don't get that a lot, honestly. Usually, it's a uh, it's old school witchcraft. Yeah, everything revolves around the, or, the or town tentacles. of Salem, right? Or tentacles or some type of like um, you know, goetic magic or or something like. Uh, you know, order of the golden dawn or something like that. Yeah, but you didn't. You don't get a lot of barn hexes and shit like that. Nope, nope. And that was a, that was a refreshing little change, change of pace. But uh, yeah, I, the other thing that was really interesting about it was how it was such a confined story. Like everything revolved around pretty much two guys in a one room house. Yep, and. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things. It's kind of it's kind of an intimate setting, and it's not like scary, gory. It's more kind of like just kind of spooky, otherworldly forces. Right, you get like a uh, almost like a cool air vibe out of it. Uh, you know, it's not that wasn't scary either. It just kind of had like that semi shocker ending. Right. Right. That's not really scary, but it's kind of um, it, it it makes you kind of like think, mm-hmm. I guess, about just how weird that is, and weird like in the grandiose sense of it, not in in like the small sense. Right, and and you know the bargain that was made, you know, is is one of those things that you could you you could find something like this happening, you know, pretty much anywhere. Anybody in in your neighborhood, you know, could be. Could be on the receiving end of one of these types of bargains. Anyone named Faust. Right. Well, I mean, it doesn't even really seem to be kind of a Faustian bargain. Because, I mean, you know, spoiler, the bargain was is that I won't die until I ask you to come and get me. You know, and okay, that's... And, I mean, that's not even really a Faustian bargain either. That's like, you know very advantageous to the the person you know who made the deal in the first place well i guess i mean but it's implied that when when the seal is complete that you you know you don't get to be happy afterwards right 
Right. Well, I mean, there there is that implication, but, uh, you know, that's left as a mystery as to exactly what happens afterward. But uh, I think you're right. I, I think that uh, the protagonist in these tales usually don't go the route of uh, engaging in the exact same behavior. The behavior is usually used as a cautionary tale. And it's like, right. oh, or as opposed to an enticement. Right. And and afterwards, you know, the person goes home, they write about it in their journal, and then, uh, you know, drink themselves into a stupor. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, of this section, it's, it's probably one of the shortest tales. We've kind of we've gone through a section of the book that had very long tales, and now we've gotten back to one that was uh, very punchy. Yeah. And, and to the point. Uh, next up is... Kind of a kind of a gothic sort of a story. It's uh, "Please Stay Dead, Aunt Marnie" by F. R. Michaels. Um, you know, and this is your kind of basic story, I suppose. Um, speaking um, of witches, speaking of witches, I mean, this is one of those old style, you know, witchcraft type of stories where. You know, the, the lady, she comes in, she inserts herself into the town, and of course, she is drop-dead gorgeous. Strap-dead gorgeous and evil. Mm, sort of, I guess. Um, you know, she's she's a witch. She's converting with some sort of malignant entity, we suppose, from the sea. From the, sea. Um, the point of view we're given is kind of that it's a malignant entity. Well, yeah, I guess if it was from her point of view, it wouldn't be malignant. But from everybody else's point of view, it's malignant. And considering how the thing ends, and I don't want to give it away, it's pretty fucking malignant. Yeah, I suppose you could say that. I mean, but the the one thing that makes this story kind of unique is that it is told from the tale of someone who defends this person. Well, it's told from the point of view of a kid who has a crush on her. Right. And and is willing to defend this person. So maybe you could say the narrator was under the witch's thrall, or perhaps he had genuine feelings. Who... <laughs> well, I've got a 13-year-old son, and <laughs> you've got a, a, a child around the same age. You tell me what he was in thrall of. <laughs> He likes he, he she let he him likes, watch her get naked. Exactly. <laughs> he was under the thrall of the hormones. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense. I mean, I was just telling Logan today because they were like taking the Mickey out of one of their buddies who um, was hanging out with a a, a girl, and uh, I was like, "Wow, thirteen just never changes." That's true. <laughs> thirteen never changes. Like some people say, war never changes. Thirteen never changes. Thirteen never. Thirteen. Thirteen never changes. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, that kind of that kind of gives a whole new meaning to Fallout. I guess. <laughs> Fallout Five. Ah, wash, hello. Wash the sheets. Ball dropper. Um. Yeah. So once again, this story this story is short and to the point. Um, wastes no time. Um, and like I said, on the one hand, you know, it's, it's pretty basic witch story. Uh, on the other hand, it is told from a, 
a fairly unique perspective, but but yeah, thirteen thought, never changes. I thought that was like a it was a cool way to present it. It was an it was a good way to show that um, this witch we'll just call her a witch for lack of a better term um, is is an evil person, but to get some sympathy for her because you have the point of view of someone who's under who has a crush on. Mm-hmm. Right, who who may or or uh, under her spell, but not a spell of sorts, but a spell. Right. Mm. So I, I think it, it did a good job with that. I don't think you could have pulled that off, and well, maybe another way, but it would have been a little bit harder to do. I think it was like really cleverly done to make that balance because you know she's evil, but then you feel for this kid too. Mm-hmm. This is true. <laughs> Uh, third up on our list this afternoon is The Perfect Parent by Peter N. Duder. I, 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 sorry if we just mangled your last name, Peter. Duder. Duder. Dale Duderino. The Dudester. If you're not into the whole brevity thing. Duderama. <laughs> Making copy. <laughs> All right. Um, this is one of those kind of stories where nothing is ever, you know, even hinted at being explained. Yeah. But, you know, stories like that are effective often because it just leaves you scratching your head and going, what, what did I just read? What? Huh? Right. <laughs> what? Yeah, this is uh this is there's always one in every every um anthology that begs you to reread it. Mhm. Just to just so you can make sure that you actually read what you just thought you read. Yeah, exactly. And most of the time that's correct. You you did just read what you read, but it still doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean all right, so the premise of this story is this guy's wife dies, and he is a writer, and he's um, left alone with his child, and he needs to be able to watch his son and get work done. So he has an eye surgically implanted in the back of his head. Right. Where do you go find a fucking doctor to do that? You know, and that's the that's the thing about this is that the the person that the story is being relayed to is someone who is very much like Steve and myself and probably most everybody else who reads who has the exact same fucking questions like, that heck? we have when we're like, what kind of fucking street doc are you going to that can, so, one, you know, can perform that kind of surgery, like you know, attaching a new optical nerve you know, in the back of your head, building an entirely new, you know, eye cavity. You know, and and what, where, where the fuck does he get the parts? And what do you have to scoop out from the back of your head to make it happen? Uh, phone numbers, probably. Well, it's actually probably his sense of reality. Um, so the whole story is told from the perspective of diary entries of the guy who had the surgery done because he's dead. And um, a brighter friend of his is the executor of his will. Right. So this is the papers. He's going through the papers, basically. Right. Well, his, his, the, the attorney is going through the papers. It's like, look, 
you know, we're going to select you to be the executor of your buddy's literary estate, but you have to hear the story first. Right. <laughs> so it's wacky, and I don't want to um, give anything away except that whatever he sees through his third eye is like completely has nothing whatsoever to do with what's going on in reality. But because I'm sure because he had part of his brain scooped out to make way for all this hardware, mm-hmm. um, he, he, he is convinced that it is what's going on. But this story also integrates the entire opposite of that, or, you know, where you have, well, it must have scooped out a part of his brain responsible for perceiving actual reality. Or did it? Right. Yeah, it's, so it's got like that classic weird tale, uh, or did it kind of feel to it as well. You know, like um, Henry James kind of right. might have been a ghost, but it might have just been a series of circumstances. Right. So there's also uh, that type of that type of uh, device in, in these stories is always kind of that wink to the, to the audience. Right. You know? I, I love that 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 device i love i love that kind of story and we actually you know we don't see a lot of that anymore right right well i think you know there was probably a point in time where it it got kind of over overplayed you know there was it was a go-to tool in everybody's toolbox right no no i I hear you to include that kind of fourth wall break that, that meta, yeah, that metafictional fourth wall break where the narrator, you know, just kind of looks at you through the pages of the book and winks. Oh, oh, not that, not that. Oh. That's not the device I like. The device I like is it. Is it a ghost, or is it a special set of circumstances that make you think it's a ghost? I like that. Yeah, uh, and 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 we don't see enough of that in in stories anymore. I mean, that used to be the standard. What the the two perfectly rational explanations? Right. Was it a ghost or was it ultra low frequency vibrations? Exactly. Like uh, you uh, decide. Let uh, us know in the comments. The haunting of Hill House is like the prime example of that. Mm-hmm. You know of of whether or not you know that house is haunted and affecting that woman, or you know is it that woman's just batshit crazy. <laughs> Right, right. Well, right. I, I or, or the 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 uh, what was it? The beckoning, um, you know, the the, the beckoning fair one. Yeah, the Oliver Onion fair one, where you had like all these. You never came out and said it was a ghost. Right, right. But you know, all the circumstances, the dripping of the water and the musical notes and all that, it could have been a ghost, or it just could have been dripping water and the guy's batching crazy. Right, and we don't get a we don't get a lot of that anymore. That, I guess that's what I'm looking. Right, right, and I and I think part of that might also be because and that has of been the overplayed too. Just right, like, <laughs> right. <I> mean, <laughs> all all of those classic ghost stories like that, and there were tons of them. Oh, um, yeah. But I think I think one of the reasons why you don't see it so much in the modern era um, is is because of the stigma of mental illness and. You know, people try to avoid the the whole, you know, possibility of, oh, that person's just crazy. Um, Which is weird because, you know, that is still, that still goes on. I mean, it's not like, you know, maybe uh, techniques 
and diagnoses have gotten better. Right. But but the general public sure shit hasn't. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And the that, general public really loves it. It's still a thing, I think, and I think it could be used effectively. You don't have to be callous about it because uh, none none of those stories that we just mentioned were callous. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just it's a possibility. Right. Right. And and since this character is a writer, it adds like a third element of the the metafictional um, uh, explanation in that, uh, you know, oh, one final creepy tale. Right. You know, to, to pull my leg. Yeah. You know, where you made yourself and your your family the main characters, you know, and that's and that's the sort of thing, you know, that would get published and. You know, people there. You know, you'd have forty-five minute long YouTube videos, you know, debating the pros and cons of each explanation. If something like that was released into the popular consciousness today, um, and it, yeah, it, it it does it does have that kind of creepy pasta kind of vibe, you know, where it could be, you know, like twisted pets. a little bit. Be pet like cemetery, pet yeah, something like that. Pet scop or. Uh, you know, Slender Man or anything like that, you know, where it's definitely in, in the case of creepypasta and whatnot, it's definitely fictional. It's all, you know, can be traced back to a source, but it takes on a life of its own. And this is also the type of story um, that the story within the story could easily be uh, something that grows its own legs and becomes this like mystery, you know, for the ages. You know, like right. the real reason the Winchester Mystery House is all fucked up like it is. <laughs> and cue the explanation of your emergency response guy. <laughs> no, uh, but I thought that, that was a good segue, man. Uh, that was all right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, so next up, we have uh, Jeffrey Thomas, your emergency response guide. Speaking of batshit crazy yeah this is a great story right and you know we have come on the air many times singing the praises of jeffrey thomas and the capital t capital h capital e jeffrey thomas uh singing his praises so we might be a little biased in in our uh assessment here but for me, this one really knocks it out of the park. Yeah. This is like uh, a lot of people know JT solely through Punk Town. And, you know, I, I've actually had the occasion to read like some of his non Punk Town fiction. Mm-hmm. And it's, man, that man can write. It's some really good stuff. And this kind of reminds me of that old, like, uh, Boneland kind of thing. Right. Where you have like this, there's this alien dimensional something invasion, and there's no explanation of it. Right. And this... all, all you have is like a pamphlet put out by the government. Right. Which, which may or may not be um, compromised. Right. It may or may not be compromised, although uh, I believe the last paragraph does kind of. You know, sorry, spoiler, it is kind of compromised. But the tone this pamphlet takes, right, is not really that kind of governmental tone. It was written by a fucking smartass, 
uh, bureaucrat who probably got shafted writing this job uh, wrote it while drinking like six pots of coffee, you know, overnight in order to get this thing to the printing press to get like, you know, 10 million copies or whatever printed by 10 a.m., you know, that sort of thing. And it does have that kind of vibe of somebody who is half delirious trying to relay useful factual information <laughs> without giving away what exactly the hell is going on. <laughs> yes. And, and uh, the way the whole thing is handled is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah I, it's, I mean, it's something you really have to experience for yourself. And I would almost say that it's worth plunking down the money for this anthology just to read this story. Just to get that story. I mean, there there were a couple of other, other stories other in here. Good stories in this book. Don't get me wrong, but this is fantastic. Um, it's just because it the tone of it is completely different than all of the other stories. Right. Mainly because it's not a story, quote unquote, but a survival pamphlet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's just an instruction manual of how not to get um, uh, destroyed, taken over, resurrected, whatever, by this um, invading force. Yeah, and it's it's great. It's got dark humor, uh, bureaucratic humor. It's just it, it's really well done, and and you you get such a great picture of what is going on in this world. Uh, just from reading this pamphlet. Right, right. You can't help but, like, assemble, you know, certain scenarios. You know, you start, you look, you read the contents of this pamphlet, and in your mind, you are constructing the film that this, or, or, or the events that this pamphlet, you know, some middle-aged, you know, corporate um, drone is just sitting at his house, you know, with his button-down shirt and his tie, and he's got his coffee, and he's just, like, reading it. And he, like, looks over at his, you know, wife and 2.5 kids. And, you know, it's just, like, this really weird, surreal kind of experience they thrust into the most generic of, you know, Western civilization. Yeah. It's almost like an Ikea survival guide against the invasion. Yeah. You have to take the floof talking and insert it into the Wonder Waffle. (laughs) (laughs) And the the best part, you know, to to once again try to, you know, spoil this is the the do-it-yourself guide to magic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the the idiot's guide to transdimensional portals. Right. Summarized in an entire paragraph. Yeah, you know, which that's that's probably the greatest part. Yeah. Because whoever is writing this, you know, is is clearly insane and you know Jeffrey Thomas is clearly insane. Um, and I, I kinda wonder, like, really, you know, it's it's kind of like one of those cop out type of questions it's old hat it's cliche to ask someone in an interview is like where do your ideas come from but you know when you read something like your emergency response guide you really want to like grab jeffrey by his shirt collar and go what the fuck is wrong with you man (laughs) (laughs) 
I've what is going on inside yeah. that skull? Oh, uh, you know, I'm sure. I think he had like a kind of a corporate drone job at one point, and and this is the result of that. It it drives you it drives you to a singular type of madness. I believe. Just ask Wesley James Young. <laughs> we go to great lengths to shoehorn Wesley's name into every episode. Yes, we do. Um, right. So that leads us to the final story of this collection or anthology, and that is the night. And all its visitors by Barry Lee Dejasu or Diyasu. Sorry, 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 Barry Dejasu. And this is kind of a, a story that really kind of picks up in media res. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cops are called to this weird. It's, it's, it has like one part procedural drama, one part serial to it um you know and it really does feel like it's just like this small little section like the pilot episode of something of, of a television series is yeah, really the vibe that it gives me um well it definitely does a really good job of world building through narration because mm-hmm. uh, you slowly get a picture of the situation of what's going on in this world mainly through dialogue yep and it has kind of a the the whole vibe of the story is like that last punchline in the Lost Boys, or you know some of these some of these uh, stories that we've read or or series that we've watched where just strangeness is you know very matter of fact, right? Almost like um, like Tales from the Loop, where like the that strangeness is just part of the scenery now. Mm-hmm. Something happened, but it happened so fucking long ago that um, it doesn't matter anymore because now you just have the situation. Right. right. And what it is and how people are coping with it. Right. Um, now, now here's my piece of criticism for this story uh, is that, you know, we, we discussed this all the way back in the first episode that, that the first story is, is very important. Uh, in my mind, in an anthology, as is the last story. Um, you want the first story to bring you into this odd world that uh, you're being fed throughout the course of the rest of the stories, whether it's thematic or if it's just a collection of weird stories. And the last story is supposed to bring you back out. But um, the, in this case, the way everything plays out in the final story uh yeah you're not you're not let back out <laughs> you know you don't return to the uh the the world of electric bills and and uh you know what's what's for dinner tonight uh, it 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 just leaves you in this place where monsters live in the dark corners of the world and you get weird pamphlets through your door it's almost like the the town in which this story takes place is the town same town that uh your emergency response guide was sent to yeah i guess so Uh, i i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing to leave you wanting more like that to not bring you out right um because i thought these last five stories were probably the strongest string of stories in the book Mm -hmm. um you know, I, 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 I kept on reading and I wanted to read it. And when this was over, um, 
just the night and all its visitors was kind of a nice little melancholy ending to to this book. Mm-hmm. I, if it were me arranging the stories around, I probably would have put uh, your emergency response guide as the final story, and this one before that. Hmm. I could see and, doing and, that, but I, I also think that maybe you should like like you said, bring people out, bring people down a little bit, not like depressing down, but like kind of like, you know. Yeah. And in fact, you can probably, you could probably could have put like the perfect parent as, as the final story. And you would have gotten that, that kind of like, Oh, it's all, you know, made up. And then the, or is it wink right there at the end? And, you know, that would have been pretty effective as well. But then again, you know, this is not the type of uh, anthology that's really meant to be read cover to cover. This is this is a sampling, a, a grouping of particular writers from a particular region with a particular set of skills. Uh, <laughs> a certain set of skills. Yes. <clears throat> um, and in this case, you know, you can read this anthology uh, in any given order. And probably, you know, come up with a unique experience uh, every time. You know, you could, you know, take the table of contents, throw darts at it, and and read it in the order that the darts land, or roll on a d20 um, and have one left over because there's 21 stories, uh, and read it in that order, and and still come out with something different. And you know, that's just, that's a strength of an anthology as well is the uh, ability to read it in any particular order. Um, you know, some anthologies we've read kind of have to be read in the order that they were put in uh, because, you know, the editor. Scott Jones is notorious for this in, in Martian Migraine's anthologies, is con- putting the stories in a particular order to tell his own narrative through the ordering of the stories. Right. And this this one is, is not meant to be that way. And is a grouping of, of stories to be read in any order. Well, it doesn't have a tight theme. Right. Like uh, Martian Migraine Press is always has like a really tight theme right. around it. And they're all going to revolve around the central uh, Lovecraft tale that Scott's featuring. Or whatever, whatever the seed story is. Yeah. So, um, but that's not, that, this book isn't, I think this is, an opportunity to give local writers, local being New England, which is a pretty big place, but that's a big neighborhood there, son. <laughs> to give them, you know, to get their names out there, give them a shot and, and show the weird community what they've got. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely interesting. Um, you know, I would like to see, you know, other regions get the same treatment. Um, yeah, but I don't think there is like a, an organization called the Mid Atlantic Horror Writers or the, you know, Southeast Horror Writers. There could um, be now. You and West can do it. You West and and uh, and uh, um, Justin Steele. He's a Steely. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh. Um. Gidney also in the Mid Atlantic. There you go. Talk to Brian Keane to get funding. Uh. Yeah. Not me, buddy. <laughs> not me there, there's a reason why i podcast and and talk about other people's writing and and not uh create 
things like this of my own, like anthologies and whatnot, because I don't want to deal with that that aspect of it. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to deal. I don't want to deal with money. I don't want to deal with uh, uh, egos. Egos. None of that. You know, my ego is is enough to to have to deal with. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Ain't getting any argument from me, pal. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, overall, uh, uh, you know, check this book out. Um, it was a nice find. Yeah, nice find. I, I wasn't really feeling it at first, but uh, it kind of grew on me in the uh, like a fungus, uh, you know, especially, especially toward the later half of the book. I kind of wish that that uh, anthologies like this were better advertised. And I know budgets are tight. Right. Um, but I found out about it um, on Facebook because I am friends with two of the authors. Right. Right. And we started seeing the contributor copies arrive in these authors' hands. Right. You know, with so, cell phone you know, photos and... and- Oftentimes, when a friend of mine who's an author has an anthology or is in an anthology, and the timing is right, I'll pick it up. Right, right. Because I believe in supporting, uh, you know, small-time writers. Mm-hmm. Not that anyone's small-time, but you know what I mean. Right. Small, uh, smaller, smaller writers. The, yeah, the whole. Well, you know, independent writers. I guess people who aren't being published by Tor, or Double mm-hmm. Day, or whatever. Right, uh, who are being published by New England horror writers, right? Uh, so I'll do that if I, you know, if if I have the funds and it comes out. So I mean, just just so happened that the timing of this was perfect, right? Um, you know, at at worst, you have something interesting to read to put you in that kind of fall and uh, Halloween is coming kind of vibe. Um, you know, at best, you have you know a, a good sampling of of what's out there. Some writers who you probably haven't heard from before, so you can look for their work elsewhere. Um, and and you have, if you're a completionist of of the authors that you do know, uh, you can grab this and and you have you know a story that may not appear elsewhere. Right. A lot, and and oftentimes what will end up happening is you'll get stories in the that will appear in the author's uh, collected, you know, collection anthology mm. that they'll put out. Right. Uh, usually, usually, you know, the, the the anthology holds the rights to it as long as it's you know published. Right. Or or for a or year re- or yeah, rights revert back. You know, all all of mine, yeah, I think reverted back like upon publication. I believe the contract said so. Right. So, so you end up like, um, well, a good example is uh, Dim Shores. Yep. So, Dim Shores will put out these chat books, which are like um, basically novellas, right? 80 page stories. Right. In, in a limited whatnot. edition. Right. And then you'll end, and then those stories will end up in that author's, um, you know, anthology. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yep, definitely check it out. There will be a link in the description. And join us next time as we talk about something else strange and interesting. Uh, We are gearing up toward October, uh, so expect us to be covering some 
some strange things. You uh, might have a surprise for us. That's right. We might have a surprise for you that will probably be even funnier. Uh, probably. <laughs> Just because, um, yeah, we'll be we'll be covering Bram Stoker's Dracula for, blah, for blah, blah. Halloween. <laughs> um, uh, right. And so, Dracula. freely and of your own will. Right. Right. And uh yeah, don't forget to uh subscribe and and spread the word if you like the show. Yeah, subscribe, like, keep thirty life points. And we'll catch y'all next time. <laughs>